Today we will jump into the second installment of our series, Addicted, and we'll mention fathers here and there and um, honor you guys as we go. And, and I definitely wanted to start off um, the message honoring the fathers, and I know we've been honoring them and we gave some gifts and we've prayed for you guys like three times already in the service, um, and for us, for me too. And, um, but I want to share a couple passages from Scripture as we get ready to jump into our message here. And the message today, if you're taking notes, is titled Trigger, a Trigger. And um, this is the second installment of our series, Addicted. And I know you're going to be blessed by it, like I was when I was um, be preparing for it. If you're taking notes, write this down, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9 together. Once you're there, you could give me an amen, and I'll, and I'll begin. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, it is, um, the Lord is speaking to the families here as they have exiled and they've left Egypt and they're now in the wilderness area. The Lord speaks to the fathers and gives them a command. Basically, he's telling them, this is how your household should look like. This is what you should be doing at home with your kids. This is some of the things that I will honor if you do. And, and I felt it appropriate to read this and to share something on this today. And it's in verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Uh, let me stop for a moment. He just gave them a bunch of laws, and he's telling the fathers, all the word that I've given you now and all these laws you Teach them diligently now to your children. Verse 7, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets before your eyes. Bind them on your foreheads is what he's saying. The last verse here, it's, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's a great passage uh, to fathers. It's a great passage to the family. When you read this passage, what is the Lord trying to say? I was reading an article, and I found an article that, that dealt with this passage. And I want to share with you what the article and how the article uh, comments on it. And I love this. It says that fathers, we are commanded to teach our children, the commands of the Lord. And, and we know that and we could say amen to that. But look what the scripture says here. We teach the children the commands of the Lord. When? Well, when we, number one, when we sit down in our house. Ain't that good? He's given us instruction of when we should teach our children. Number one, when you sit down in your house. Well, what does that mean? You know, when you're home with your children, don't just ignore them. Spend time teaching your children when you're sitting around the house with them. That's good. It's good. You know, you're watching a game together. Great teachable moments watching the game together. Great man bondage, right? And even daddy with daughter bondage in, in certain things. I mean, teach them while you're home, while you're walking, while you're in front of the computer, when you do stuff around the house. And, and that's what the article was describing. But it doesn't end there. It says when you walk by the way. You know, that's very interesting because it's, it's a very open statement. Well, what's walking by the way? Well, you make that 
what you think it is. You know, walk by the way. Think about when you go walking. When you go to the park with your children, when you drive them somewhere. Maybe you go to a ball game with them. Maybe you go to some sort of show with them, a dance show, a recital. Anywhere that you go with them. Great time. Great moments. What is the Lord doing in your life today, daughter? Son, what's God showing you lately? Or forget that. Son, let me tell you what God is showing me and what he's doing with your dad. Daughter, let me talk to you about what God is doing to dad's heart in this season that I'm in. Man, when you're going by the way, it doesn't even end there. It continues to say this. When you lie down, when you go to bed, it's talking about here. God's word, his laws, his requirements should be the things that your children hear about when they go to bed. I love that. We're, we're starting that discipline with our son where well, we started it where every night we're, we're going to pray together. Every night we're going to get into the word together. And, and we want that our son, that's the last thing that's on his mind before he goes to bed. As a family, we read and as a family, we prayed and as a family, now go to bed. And all the parents say, yeah. But we pray with him and we read the word with him and we do the same thing in our house and, and try to discipline you. Well, my children are old now. There's no way I could do that now. It's, not, it's never. It's never too late. It's harder to do now, but it's not impossible to start doing that now. Amen? Good. So when you lie down before you go to bed, wait, wait, no one go to bed yet. What? We're going to start something new here. What do you mean? I'm in, well, I'm not going to say the age, but. I'm in my this age now, Dad. Now you want to start this? Yeah, now. Better late than never because watch this. Watch this. Dad, Dad, there's no greater joy in my life and there's going to be no greater joy in your life that one day your kids will be able to do that with their kids and say, yes, I taught them well. Because they went through that discipline at home with me. Now they go through that discipline at home with their kids. And then you think that when you lie down, it ends there. But the scripture says what in Deuteronomy? When you rise... When you rise, the first thing in the morning, if it's possible, try to make some time. Let conversations be about God. Coffee's brewing. God is good through the coffee brewing. Put a worship song on in the background. Sing about the things of God. Talk about the things of God. Some of you are looking at me. You live in a dream world, buddy. That's not, but at least try. One of these things, just try it. Discipline yourself to do it. When you rise up, and then it says this, you shall bind them as a sign as a sign on your hand, on the frontlets of your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, and on your gates. That's amazing because when, when you think about this, a father should be reading to the children daily. A, a, a father should be not just reading it, but living out the word of God before their children. And, and as we live it and we read it and we teach it to our children, it's also being placed on the gates and on the doorposts. Do you want to know why? Think about this. What's the last thing you see when you leave your house? It's the doorpost of your house. In those days, the last thing you left when you went to work or you left through the city, you left the city gates. You put the words of God on the city gates. Why? So it's the, it's the first thing it's the, or the last thing they see when they leave home, and it's the what when they get home. It's the first thing they see when they get home. Hey, that your house should be a house of God. And if, and if, and if you're not doing a good job with your words, man, put frames up, put plaques up, put crosses up, but let them know that in this household, we believe in Jesus. In this household, our God, and fathers, you have such a role in that. Hey, fathers, you got this. Remember the video we just showed? You got this. Dads, you got this. And it's so important. The father, the father represents to the family, man, what the high priest 
was to Israel. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Dads, we're the spiritual leaders. We are the spiritual heads of the family. And God will, I mean this, God will hold us accountable. How many of those dads can say amen? He's going to hold us accountable one day. So, so lead your family. Direct your family. Be the spiritual strength of your house. I, I just have, a, I have this little feeling that the wife really wants to look at the dad right now and say, you got this. I love what Paul says to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 6.4, right? Fathers, fathers, dads, do not provoke your children to anger, to wrath. But you bring them up. You raise them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. That's good. Because as fathers, I know this, that we can provoke, right? We can induce. I'm going to use a word real quick because it's our message, right? We can trigger our children to anger. Can we not? My dad is just... So you know, the three boys, one dad... That must be fun for their mom. But it's Father's Day. Just think about this for a moment. Sometimes we demand perfection from our children, right? Hey, how many of us uh, uh, put so much stuff upon our children and what we want from them, and sometimes what we want from them is not even what they want for themselves. You need to become a this when you grow up. And they're like, but that's not even what I want to be. You got to be a doctor, but I want to be a teacher. Don't you ever say that again in this house. How can you say that to your children? You're breaking them, dads. Right? So, so, so you grab their gifts. You grab their talents. And yes, I know that sometimes as dads, we want our children to be the best. And, and we're dads. We're competitive. We're strong by nature. So when my son already at two is in the playground, I want him to be the toughest two-year-old in the playground. Like, I want him to grab a kid and say, uh-uh, my slide, in a way, not too much, but in a way. If someone takes his toy, go, go get it back, son, go get it back now, go, 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 go. You, you want that kind of dad, am I wrong? You kind of want that, even in your daughters. My niece is a gymnast, and guess what? You would think that my sister would be sitting where all the parents are sitting. Come on, sweetheart, you could do it. No way, my sister's home. My brother-in-law is on the glass. Come on, and he's screaming, and he's excited, and he's yelling. He is a gym dad. He's competitive. It's just something that God builds us men with, and we want, and we demand perfection from our children. But be very careful that you decide for your children what we want from them and not necessarily what God wants from them. Dads, you got to help them develop that. Amen? If not, we're gonna, it's not going to fall well with our children. And in, along the road, we might fail them in those areas. Dads, what is the scripture saying here in Ephesians? Bring them up in the discipline, in the instruction of the Lord. God brings us up with a loving discipline, does he not? How many of you have been disciplined by God? I know I have. But watch this. And you're disciplined by God. How, much of you, how many of you could admit it's been a loving discipline? Every time he disciplines, it's with love. When he disciplines us, it's with a higher good in mind. Instructing us in his truth, in his word. And we are to do the same. Hey, everyone say this with me. Dads, you got this. Say that. I believe that. And as fathers, we have the ability. We have this influence that we carry. An influence to to trigger, I'm going to use that word a lot today, trigger our families and children to greatness. Trigger. And don't limit your role, dads. Don't limit your call. You got this. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's talk about trigger. 
Dads, I'm going to put you on park for a moment. In a little bit, we'll speed up. But I wanna, I'm going to talk to the church, and you could grab stuff from what I'm going to preach on and, and apply it to you as, as dads. But I want to give you the definition real quick of what trigger is. And here it is. The word trigger is any form of stimuli or anything that stimulates you that initiates the desire to engage in an addictive behavior. For example, during the course of a recovery program, triggers may prompt an individual to slip up and use a substance or engage in a behavior that they are otherwise trying to avoid. But because of a trigger, they could not avoid it, and they fell to that thing. Something stimulated them to continue to engage in an addictive behavior that led to something that was not good at all. And I want to open up with these questions, and it's this. It's pretty basic, pretty common as we start up our message. It's this. What causes your addiction? Or if I want to use the word, what is it that triggers it? What triggers it? What, what edges you on? Because with that question, I want to make sure I share some scripture with you. And, and before I share this scripture, here's a thought for you. Ready? We need to be so careful, so watchful with what we do with our hands, with what we see with our eyes. We need to be very careful how and what we allow to enter us. Amen? So you see how this could relate to fathers as well? It's a great Father's Day message at the same time. But I'm talking to the church. Be very, very careful what you do with your eyes, what you do with your hands, what you allow to feed your soul. It's biblical. It is. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 through 20 says this. Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? Verse 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the what, church? So what, what, what's happening in the exterior, it's something that is deeper. It's, it's built inside in the interior. It's found in the inside. It comes from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. Everyone say defiles. I'm going to break that down in a moment. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Here, here's the defiling part of the, of the, of the flesh. Is of the, the flesh of the heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murderer and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. And it says, these are what defile a person. Yeah, maybe you, you've never physically killed someone, but maybe you've done it in your heart, right? Right? Maybe you're not a physical murderer, but you're a spiritual murderer. You've, maybe you haven't committed physical adultery, but, but you sure have committed adultery in the heart you've lusted over over things that is not your wife that is not your husband that is not what god's given you huh and, and we could we could apply these verses to our lives maybe you've given a false witness maybe you have stolen maybe you've lived a life of slander constant slander and jesus says these are things that defile a person the, the word defile there in the greek it's, it's here it is it's it's nothing too deep, but it's this, unclean, pollute, unhallowed. These are the things that make someone not holy, unholy, unclean, polluted. That the inner sin, this inner addiction that we might have, it pollutes us inwardly. And in any moment, it will be revealed through the words, through the actions, and through the choices of the exterior life. And that's the truth. 
You know, I think about an apple during this time because I buy apples at Publix and then I forget. Any men struggle with this like I do? I buy apples and my wife's like, oh, so you bought apples? Yeah, I like to eat them with peanut butter. So I put them in my fridge. A month passes. I forgot I bought the apple. The apple still looks good after a month. But when you cut that bad boy open, it's got all kinds of colors in the inside. My wife says, when did you get this apple? Last time we went to Publix. And when was the last time? What? To go? It's not good. It looks great. Still got that green polish, the red polish. Depends which one I buy. It's not good in the inside, I'm sure. And it's the same thing with an apple, is it not? You know, the apple rots in the inside before you see any signs of it rotting in the exterior. Do you know it's the same thing with us? Before we ever rot in the exterior, we're already rotting in the inside. It's, it's, it's just at any moment, the exterior will begin to show what is really happening in the interior. But it starts happening in the inside. What is Jesus saying in Matthew? Hey, it's happening in the heart. It's happening deep down inside of you before you ever show it exteriorly. And maybe you're here and you're so bound. I want to stay with this word real quick. I don't want to get away from this. You're so addicted. You see how now, you see in week two, you see how it's not just about drugs. You see in week two how it's not just about alcohol. You see now in week two how it's not just about your smoking habits. Do you see how this addiction could be about so much more and things that are so much deeper? And maybe you're here and you're so addicted to certain sins, to certain habits, which we're going to talk about habits in a moment, that from the exterior, everything looks good. Listen to what I'm telling you. You have everyone fooled. No one will ever know from talking with you or or spending a day with you, but you know that interiorly you are hurting. You feel like your soul is in chains, that there is an addiction that is so strong that you don't know how much longer you can hide it and how much longer you could go on like if nothing is wrong with you. I'm wondering how many of you right now are in this building and you feel like that. Like, I'm tired of being addicted. I wonder. I've I believe in this. The word of God is the most powerful thing. Let's get back into the word. In Matthew 5, you know what Jesus says? It's a very, it's it's a verse that many have taken out of context and and they didn't really understand what it means. But but let's read it first. Jesus says, hey, hey, watch this. If your right eye causes you to sin, you pluck it out. You know that when you read that verse, there's never an amen in any church? I don't know why. If your right eye causes you to sin, let's try that. Let's just for fun. Ready? I want to see how it sounds. And I want to hear how it sounds during the week on the audio, on the podcast. Ready? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That sounds weird. It doesn't go with that verse. It doesn't go. Amen. Pluck it out. Take out your right eye. In Jesus' name. Oh, man. Pluck it out and I have fun in the word, but and cast it from you. So you know it's fun because like don't just pluck it out, but get it and throw it over. It's like no, amen. Preach, pastor, you're preaching good today. We're plucking eyes and throwing them over I-75. <laughs> See who gets the farthest, huh? You got me. It's weird. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish. 
than for your whole body to be cast in hell. That, that's a good spot. Amen. Amen. Oh, let, let's practice. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. Yeah. You sick people. You cut it off. And you can <laughs> catch my hand. And you cut it off and you cast it from you. And then he says it again. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. That's a good part to say amen. You know, when you read this passage, <clears throat> it doesn't mean to literally cut off. Please know this. Please write this in your notes just in case you forget. It doesn't mean to literally cut off or poke out members of your body. Please understand that, church. But what it does mean is this, that we are to be very careful. We need to be aware. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Aware of how rapid sin can conquer and destroy our lives. Hey, hands, watch what you touch. Watch what you grab. Watch what you hold. Watch what you receive. Eyes, watch what you watch. Because you know what? Your eyes, the mirrors to your soul. Be careful what you look at. Careful how you see it. Be careful what you hold on to. How many of you know what I'm talking about, about hands? Because how many of us, come on, come on, come on, are holding on to things that years ago God told you, let go of it already. How many of you are still holding on to it? Guys, there's that verse. Cut off your hand. Throw it all. Throw it away. It's better for you to walk in with one hand missing than your whole body be thrown into hell. Guys, it doesn't really mean to cut off your hand, but be very careful. Be very aware of the things that trigger, that will cause you to go and sin and bring addictions into your life. Trigger sins and to live a life that is defeated through and because of addictions. So what, what do we need to do? We need to carefully evaluate the things that we do, the things that we see. Because the end one, according to this passage, according to Jesus' words, is this. Ready? It's not a profitable, it is not a profitable one, the end result. Not profitable at all. What's the end result? Jesus says, for the whole body will be casted into what? Yeah, that's not profitable. Never has been. Hey, can everyone say this with me? I got this. Yeah, not just for dads. I want the whole church to believe that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face today the things that trigger addictions in my life, the things that trigger sin in my life. Come on, be bold and say, I got this. I could do this today. Hey, ready? My dad believes in me. I'm going to try something today. I believe in you. I believe you got this. I believe you got this. You could, you could cut off the things that trigger you to continue to struggle the way you struggle. You know, in 1 Corinthians 10, I told you last week, if you weren't here, you have homework. You got about five weeks till it's due. Don't forget that. Come on, guys. Be disciplined in this. It's a small verse. It's only chapter 10, verse 13. I promise you, I don't have it memorized yet, but I will when we all do it together. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, our, our series verse is founded on this verse. And this is our memory verse that you're going to be given an assignment on on our last week of this series, and it's this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Can everyone say this? God is faithful. Come on, say that. God is faithful. Sometimes you got to say it. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he's all, he will also provide, come on, everyone say this with me, 
the way of escape. That's good. So that you may be able to endure it. That's a powerful passage for this. For the, I'm going to say this verse for the next six weeks. Know this. Because, you know, if we would be honest today, if we would truly be honest today, I wonder how many of us here would admit that there is this thing or there are these things that we are addicted to. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today because some of us are with children, some of us are with spouses, some of us are with parents. So it could become a very odd trip to the restaurant today. (laughs) Or a very odd trip home. So what do you mean? (laughs) There are things in your life. But if we were to be honest today, and I'm going to give one whole message in the weeks to come about accountability and confession, so I don't want to give away too much today, but if we would confess today, if we would confess today, how many of you would say, I'm addicted to some things in my life? I am addicted to something in my life. Maybe you're still here like, well, what do you mean again? I'm talking about something that stimulates you. That causes a desire to engage in an addictive behavior. That there is this void in you and you numb it. And you numb it with a certain behavior that you find difficult today to get freed from. Any of you in here find it difficult to be freed from that? I wonder how many of you could be honest. Hey, I want to get into a story today. It's a story that many of you might know. Many of you probably do know, but I don't want to feel... Anyone that might not know it, I don't want you to feel bad because there are some of us here that do not know this story. I'm going to ask you to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Once you get there, give me an amen. And this is pretty much some stuff I want to highlight with you all. 2 Samuel 11. Once you're there, give me an amen and we'll get started. Amen. 2 Samuel 11. As you are in 2 Samuel 11, it's going to be very easy. Go to verse 1 with me. What story is this? Right. David and Bathsheba. Known story. Popular story. Story often preached or mentioned in different sermons. But what I did was, I highlighted, and I'll come for you. I highlighted, that, uh, here it is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, about thirteen things that I found very wrong with the story. Thirteen ways in which One trigger pulled off another trigger that pulled another trigger and started a cycle that we saw or we see in David's life of addictions. And I want to read the story, and I want, as we read it, for you to be like, I caught it, I caught it, I caught it. And as you catch it, if you're into highlighting or writing notes or underlining in your Bible, feel free to do that. But let's read the story first, and then we'll go into it. Ready? Verse 1 says, in the spring of the year, I'm going to read... Actually, this one from the NLT, it says, When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the 
Ammonites, and they destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it. Stayed behind. Like, like, David should have never even stayed behind. David should have gone and fight with the brethren. Should not stay behind. You know what happens when, when people stay behind, right? Yeah, yeah. The enemy's like, oh, you're not up to fight? This is easy. You, you'll be amazed how many times I've, I've met with couples and, and the wife will look at me and say, it's just like if my, hung, like my husband, like he's left me behind. Let me tell you a story about 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. He stayed behind. Husbands, he stayed behind. Don't leave your wives behind. Wives, don't leave your... You guys get what I'm trying to say here? Don't stay behind. God's doing something, don't stay behind. But let's keep going here. So he stays behind. So late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace. Guys, his palace. He knows his palace very well. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed... He noticed a woman of unusual beauty. Mm -hmm. And she was taking a bath. Right. Like, it's easy to notice. Oh, she's naked. And it's easy to notice. Oh, she's naked. <laughs> I wonder how David noticed. I wonder how he noticed. I think I know which one it is because... It says here that David got out of his bed. He was walking on the roof of the palace. He looked over the city. He noticed that a woman of unusual beauty was taking a bath. So she was splendid. She was gorgeous. She was fine. And verse 3, here's another mistake. Ready? He sent someone to find out who she was. David, you shut your mouth. Get back into your room. Get on your knees because cooking in the kitchen is your wife. Go tell her how much you love her and stop staring at the naked woman that is outside of your balcony. But instead, he's like, Psst, I saw this girl. Go see who she is. Trigger, trigger, trigger. It's going off. And it still hasn't caught up to him. Things are just going off in his life. So he sends someone to, verse 3, to find out who she was. For what? For what? You have so much already. For what? Because he had an addiction. I can tell you that. You're going to see his addiction as we keep reading. And he was told that she is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Guys, another mistake, verse 4. So then David sent messengers to get her. Dude. What's happening? Huh? Oh, I thought everyone was staring over here. I got nervous. I'm ADD. All right, here we go. Someone waved me down. Let me know what's going on. But here we go. He says this. David sent messengers to get her. There's another error. And when she came to the palace, come on, everyone. Yeah, right, like, he slept with her. He, it's not like a sleepover party, you know that, right? Did you bring your sleeping bag? Uh, guys, so many things went wrong here already. He stayed behind. He noticed this, he noticed this woman. He, he sent someone to... Because you, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you start liking someone, right? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I saw Nancy. I, last time I saw her, we were 15 years old. 
we were 25, I started working at her school, and she walks by my classroom, I said, oh my God, that's my ex-girlfriend, we were 15 years old, she looks so good. I can say that because she's my wife today. So you know who I became best friends with? Who do you think? Her best friend. Yeah. And all the men? Come on, amen. That's a shout, a hallelujah, good job. And I became friends with her. And I became friends with her. So how are you doing? Good. And how's everything? Good. How's Nancy? She's doing good. Why are you asking? Just asking. You know, I dated her when we were young. And, and it's, so, so what does David do? He's, hey, have you seen that girl that lives next door? I saw her walking around. No, you did not see her walking around. You saw her taking a shower, you liar. <laughs> Who is she? Oh, that's one of your general's wives. You didn't know her? It's Uriah's wife. We should invite them over to eat one day. Oh, David is so, so ugh, he's such a, such a nice guy asking about the people around his village, right? Baloney, he had other plans in mind. So he's asking about her. Then he sends messengers to get her. Then she comes to his palace. She has no reason to be in her palace. She has her own palace with her own king. There's no reason that her heart is, should, be, should be shared with any other king. And David broke that, and David broke his heart with any other queen. Everything is going wrong. Everyone get that? So he stepped to her, and she completed the purification process that she was going through. And verse 5 says this, Later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, everyone say, oh, yeah. She got pregnant, dude. She sends David a message. And she's like, um, David, I don't know how we're going to do this. My husband's probably going to come back from tour. Um, and um, yeah, I'm pregnant. And he's going to know that it's not from me. I'm pregnant. He, she writes him a letter. So David gets all freaked out, right? And you would think right then and there, what would he do? What would he do? Get on his knees, pray, ask for forgiveness, repent. I can't believe I've done such wrong. I got to, con- oh my. You know what he does? He's like, trigger, another trigger, another trigger. Addictions, addictions, addictions of lies, addictions of, of, of women, addictions of all these different stuff in his life. Watch this. So he sends word to Joab and he says, hey, bring Uriah home. So Joab sent him to David, and when Uriah arrives, guys, this is the woman's husband, David asks him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Get to the point, David. You're such a liar. You care nothing about the army. Just slept with this guy's wife, man. So how's it going over there? Verse 8. But then he told Uriah, you know what? You've done such a good job, right? Go home and relax. You know what that means, right? Go home and relax. Go home and be with your wife. And David even sent a gift to Uriah after he left the palace. Guys, there's so much wrong there. He sends for Uriah the the Hittite. That's wrong already. Then when he comes to him, he says, go home, and he gives him gifts. How can you give him gifts? Sometimes you do have to be very careful. The person that's close to you that's being extra nice to you, right? Sometimes. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. He's like, I'm not going home with my wife. My men are fighting. How can I do that? When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him in again and he asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Like, your wife, man, go spend some time with her. I would think that you would want to be with your wife. Verse 11, so Uriah replied, he says, The ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How can I go home? To wine and dine and sleep with my wife. I swear that I would never do such a thing. Hey, if you read this, who would you think the greater man of God is? David, the man after God's own heart, not here. Uriah, honest, trustworthy. You want me to 
have some wine, eat some steak, and sleep with my wife when my men are dying in the field? I can't do that. Know that, David. I'm not going to do that. How do you think David feels right now? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This guy. How do you think he feels? He still doesn't admit anything. Look what he tells him in verse 12. Well, stay here today. David tells him to stay, and tomorrow you will return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him to dinner. Another error, another wrong in David's life, another trigger goes off. What's the trigger? Ready? He invites him to dinner, and David, the man of God, gets him drunk. You want to know why he gets him drunk, right? Now go to your wife. Gets him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. And again, Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with the king's palace guard. Wow. Is this an amazing story? Verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he says, Uriah, go back to war and send this to Joab, the one who's in charge of there of the battle. And the letter instructed Joab, here's another error. He writes a letter. Here's the next one. Ready? I want you to place Uriah, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the strongest, is the fiercest. And then I want you to pull, guys, 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 I want you to pull back so that he may be killed. Do you know how evil that is? Hey, hey, go, go, go to war. And when Uriah's in the front lines and you guys are, are right against the, the city walls and they're going to they're gonna throw arrows of fire at you, everyone retreat and run back and do a secret signal that no one knows that only Uriah stays so that for sure he dies. Evil. Come here. Just a glance from his balcony. Just a, come here. A glance from his balcony got a woman pregnant and now he's getting a man murdered. You tell me if what you see with your eyes is not very dangerous. You tell me, ah, I just watched it one time or I just went once or I just tried it once or I just experimented once or I just called him once or I just went to eat lunch with her once or and you tell me if that doesn't bring great danger because the next thing in the story is she's pregnant and her husband's about to get killed all because he was outside of his balcony and he saw a beautiful woman. You tell me if that did not trigger some serious addiction. Come on. Happy Father's Day, guys. Love you. <laughs> but it's true. So she sends, he sends him to the front line. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to the... Forgive me, I, I skipped some verses. So Joab sent a battle report. Did I still skip? Verse 16. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David and he told this messenger, he says, report all the news of the battle to King David, verse 20, but that he might not get angry. When he gets angry and he asks you this, well, why did all the troops get so close to the city? Don't you know that there would be shooting from those walls? 
Wasn't Abimelech the son of Gideon killed there by the woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? What is David saying? Did you not learn from past lessons and history and you still made the same mistakes? So when David starts to get upset at you, this is what you're going to tell him next. Ready? Then you tell him, hey, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. And you're going to see how his anger will turn into joy. So, so, so the guy comes, right? Guys, uh, Lord, we, uh, King, we kind of lost at the wall. What do you mean you lost? Did you not learn from your past mistakes? And, and in the middle, the guy's just smiling. He's like, one more thing. Uriah's dead. He's like, oh, good job. It's changed his whole way of thinking and being. So, so let's keep going here for a moment. I wrote on my notes this. I promise you this. I wrote this. Wow. With like four explanation points. Yeah, I did. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. And the enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said to David. We chased them back to the city gate, but the archers were on the wall and they shot arrows at us. And some of the king's men were killed. But watch this. Oh, what do you mean? He says, wait, including, including Uriah. You know what David does? He doesn't get mad. Look what he does next. Well, 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 you tell Joab, don't be discouraged. Oh, you man of God. Now he's, now he's being the encourager, you know. Oh, Uriah's dead? Go tell Joab, don't be discouraged. Right, now. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow, but fight harder next time and conquer the city. You guess what I wrote in my notes again? Wow. The evil, the addiction in David's life that he's actually like, he's doing a good job. Tell him not to worry about it. He did what I wanted him to do. So when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. This is a sad story, man. But there's, there's some goodness to it. It's coming to the end. Watch. When the period of mourning was over, David sent her. He messed up again. He sends for her again. He brings her to a palace. And now she becomes one of his wives. She gives birth to a son. Can everyone look at the next part of this verse? Come on. I highlighted this, bolded this, and circled this in my notes. What does it say? But the Lord was not pleased with David. He was displeased with what David had what? Hey, guys, real quick. You can't read this story and not say that there were strongholds in David's life. He had strongholds. There, there is obvious here Obvious addictive behaviors in David's life. All over this passage. I'm going to show you something just, just for the fun of it. If you guys could see. I know it's small print to where you're sitting. But this is my notes, right? Everything in like that purplish color is all the wrong that he did. All over this passage, I highlighted addictive triggers that continue to reveal addictive behaviors. One thing after another thing, one trigger after another, one trigger setting off addictive behaviors which triggers more dangerous behaviors from David to the point that, like I told you earlier, one view of a woman got her pregnant, got people killed, got her husband killed. A woman finds herself pregnant, she's not his wife, and then he premeditates different ways to frame him to make him think that He's the one that got her pregnant, and that didn't work either. So then he murders him. And then he takes this pregnant widow with his own child as his wife. Listen, that was never to be your wife, David. Man, if you study the life, I don't have time, but David received some consequences. I mean, uh, and I'm going to be honest, I, I know age and all that, but 
his own son rapes his own daughter. Like, it, he, he deals with consequences of his sin. Don't get me wrong. But the Lord makes it clear with David, I am displeased with what you have done. Don't think for once that this is okay. I'm going to read a verse to you. And it's found in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Awesome verse. Here it is. James 1, 12, 13, 14, and 15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Come here. David, don't you say that when you walked outside of that balcony and you saw that woman taking a bath. Well, look at what God did to me. He put a woman at the same time that I walked outside of the balcony taking a bath and she was naked. I should have never seen. Do not blame God for that. Right? Isn't that what the verse is telling us? So James says what? He says, let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, highlight this, underline this, write this in your notes. Each person is tempted when he is what? Yeah, I could use the word triggered there. When he is lured, triggered, enticed by his own desire. And then that desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to what? When that trigger goes off, it gives birth to what? Sin. And then sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth what? Yeah, didn't Jesus tell us that? It's better that you take out before your whole body goes into hell? Hey, listen, people with addictions, and if you find yourself addicted with certain things today, have you noticed this? Addicted people have no control over what they're doing, what they're using, what they're taking, how they're acting. Perfect example, David lost control. You want to know why he lost control? He was addicted. There's no way that all because he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath outside of his balcony, that just, oh, everything else just unfolded. I'm telling you that he struggled. He lost control. And who knows what David was carrying on himself, upon himself, all throughout his young years, on to his adult years. But his behavior shows us that there was a void in his life that needed to be filled. Hey, his other wife didn't make him happy enough so he figured if i make this woman my wife she'll make me happy well soon will david find out that no that's not the answer either because addicted people look for their addictions to fill something that is way deeper and it's a void that needs to be filled that the addiction will never fill that it's found in a person and only jesus can fill <clears throat> addicted and each time an addiction was triggered he would remain, David, and maybe you too. <clears throat> Excuse me. He would remain with the same void. And then it would cause David to do it again and again. And I'm going to share something with you. Do you guys remember the story of David? The youngest son? Do you remember when Jesse came to anoint the next king? Who did his father, Jesse, bring before the king? Before the prophet Samuel, forgive me, to be the next king. Who did his father Jesse bring? Every single one of David's brothers. Who did he leave behind? It's almost as if David always was left behind. So when these people are at war, he does what he does best. He stays what? Because if daddy always left me behind, I might as well always stay behind. And you know what's always gotten David into trouble? being left behind. And who knows what David went through in his early years at home. 
But there was something wrong with his household. Dads, be careful with our children. Be careful with the ones that we leave behind. Hey, listen, all of them are very important. Not one of them is more important. Some of Amen. But all of them are very important. And here's David, the youngest son. And we see that in his life, his dad doesn't think highly of him. He was treated at home probably in an unfair way. And who knows what kind of father Jesse was to David. Who knows what he went through in his upbringing, what bad habits because of this upbringing he formed and he created in his youth that caused him to have the adult years he had. Who knows? Because when a person is addicted to something like David is, we see that in David's life and maybe even in your own life, there are things in your lives that you cannot control. You can't control and you are dependent on that one thing on it to cope with your everyday life. And if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to get through this feeling I'm going through. Yes, you can. If I don't do this, I can't cope with myself. Yes, you can. These things in our lives that, that trigger us become habits and they become bad habits. They really do. I love... What's this guy's name? GP, are you with me? Kirk Franklin's testimony. One day, he recognized he needed help. He says that every night he would wait for his wife to go to bed. And he would stay downstairs, and when she was sound asleep, he would say, now I could watch television. Something for years that his wife had no idea he would do. And you could read between the lines. And it said it became such a stronghold and such an addiction that he knew that I needed to confront this. And he had to sit with his wife and say, for years when you go to bed at night, I go downstairs, and this is what I watch on television without you knowing he built a bad habit. And in building a bad habit, guess what happened? It became an addiction. Do you think that David's addictions just became addictions over day? I believe they became a bad habit ever since he was left behind from his father all those years. And because he got left behind all those years, now he's grown up and he's the king of Israel, right? But he's making the same mistakes in his adult years that he's making or he was making when he was a child. He never grew from those things. He never matured from those things. He never broke free from those things. And, and all he knew was, well, when I fill this void, these are the things I do. And part of his bad habits, which became his addictions, triggered some very bad sins. Murder and pregnancy and adultery and uh, sickening. I want to talk real quick about a habit. Habit is this. Many of us become engaged in, in certain activities and as we call them habits, we could do them without any significant problem. And it becomes a habit and for some of us it's not a big deal because a habit we have control over. I could probably stop doing this habit at any moment, at any day. Where it becomes dangerous is when our habit becomes our addiction. That's where it becomes dangerous. 
Because addiction is where the person now is unable to control the aspects of this addiction without any kind of help because of the mental or physical condition that they've involved themselves in. So what does David do? Sees her, calls her in, gets her pregnant. Now he's in a problem. Then he calls him in, doesn't want to sleep with her, sends him out, gets him murdered. He's in a deeper problem. And if you were from the outside looking in and say, David, what is it and why did you do such a thing? I bet you David would look at you and say this, I don't know how I got here. Someone help me. He became an addict to his lifestyle and to his behavior. With a habit, you can control your choices. But with an addiction, you are not control, in control of your choices. We see here that with David, it's the same thing. In many of our lives, addictions take over our lives and we no longer have control of them. I wonder if there's someone here. And there are things that have triggered these addictions and we haven't cut them off and we haven't recognized. For some of us in this room, it's, it's cutting off the cable. It's taking out the laptop. It's not going out to those places. It is not having one drink with the family. For some of us here, it's finally taking a step of boldness and say what? I'd rather not have this so that I don't have to live in it any longer. Come on. And if it's worth me not having internet, it's worth me not having cable, if it's worth me losing some friends, if it's worth me going out with some of them, if it's, then I'll tell you this, ready? It's well worth it because you're going to what? Fight the things that trigger those things that have control of you. Come on, someone. And I know God is speaking to some of us in here. Some of us that's, that's oh man, I just want to get freed from this stuff. What addictions have taken over us? That we no longer have control over. Remember how we started this. Be careful what you do, what you see. It can lead you to a bad place. Listen, addictions can lead us to some serious problems at home, at work, at school, with our employers, socially. Oh, my goodness. Who knows, man? And think about some of the things that causes addictions. People are still trying to figure it out. Combination of physical and mental and circumstantial, emotional factors. But I want to add something to all these awesome psychologists. Ready? How about spiritual factors, huh? How about that some of the greatest addictions in our lives have nothing to do or all of it to do with mental and physical and circumstantial and emotional? How about if a lot of it has to do with some spiritual things in your life? And that's what I want to end with today. Because where is the Lord in all of this stuff? Where is repentance in all of this? In the next chapter, the Lord sends prophet Nathan to confront David of his sin and of his addictions. And as he confronts David of his sinful, addictive behavior, David realizes he's wrong. And 2 Samuel 12, 13 says this. Watch this, guys. Then David confessed to Nathan. And what does he confess to Nathan? I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, yes, you have. You ain't fooling anyone. But look what he says next. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you're not going to die because of your sin. I could just encourage someone right now and say this. The Lord can forgive you, and you will not die because of that addiction. You will not die because of that sin. But can you repent and finally address the spiritual wrong in your life? Lord, I have sinned against you. Are you guys with me? I'm coming off, and I'm, and I'm closing up now. Your addiction, man, it could be fueled by void. And it's fueled by void 
God is telling us to be set apart, to stay away from it. Don't flirt with things that trigger it. I'm going to read two verses. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of God's people can say amen? In Galatians 5, 16, it says, but I say walk. You walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the what? Flesh. Walk by the spirit. So what's my problem? Are you walking in the spirit? Are you walking in the word? Are you engaged in the things of God? Many people who struggle with addictions give no place to God. So in the place of God, these addictions take over. As I end, I'm going to end with a powerful psalm. And if you're taking notes, I want you to read this at home later on. Write this down. It's Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. And once you open up to Psalm 51, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Psalm 51. So David gets confronted by, by Nathan and says, Nathan has an amazing conversation with David. And in this conversation, David realizes that he's a sinner, that he's addicted, that he's a mess. And he repents. And he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan is like, you sure have. So David does something very special. I don't know how he does it. But he goes back to his room. And he's in tears probably. David cried a lot. He teared up when he was repenting. And as he was walking through the halls of his palace, I'm sure people were like, David, what's wrong? King, what's wrong? Oh, king. And people were probably bowing to him as he was walking by them. And he was distraught in tears, walking back to his chambers. And I don't know how this part happened. But I'm picturing David just falls on the floor. Because his knees are weak. And as he's falling to the ground, he begins to cry to God. And he writes one of the most powerful songs that I've ever been written. After he just committed adultery, got her pregnant, killed her husband, made her his wife, after all these addictions caused this, he does something beautiful. And this is the part where I want to talk to you. Because you might have a struggle, you might have an addiction, you might have things that are triggering it that you know today, I got to stop those triggers today. And I tell you today, but this is the beautiful part of this. It's where you run to and what you do when you run to him. It's amazing what he does when you find yourself at that place with God. So what does he do? He writes these words. Follow with me. He says, have mercy on me, O God. You think he was crying? You think he was sobbing? Come here. Do you think that it was even hard for him to say these words out of his mouth how about when he wrote it you think his hand was trembling have mercy because of your unfailing love listen to what he says 
Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Come on, he recognizes it. Do you recognize your rebellion? Do you recognize the things that trigger you? Do you recognize the addictions? Do you recognize the sin? It haunts me day and night. I know this, guys, that there are some of us here that are haunted by these things. Against you and you alone have I, have I sinned, O oh God. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just, is fair. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. It's time to get honest, David. Because you weren't honest with Bathsheba, with Uriah, with Joab. But now, watch this. It's time to be honest with me. So what does he say to God? You desire honesty. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. How many of you joy has been taken from you? This is good, man. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your ways to the rebels. To those who what? And I'm going to share this one week. Who struggle like I struggle. Because some of your struggles is going to be some of your greatest strengths for someone else. I don't want to preach that yet. So I'll go and teach it to the rebels. And they're going to return to you. You'll be amazed how some of your addictions are going to help other addicts. And in that process, those addicts are going to be brought to Christ because of the addiction that was first found in you. Forgive me for shedding blood. I killed Uriah. Forgive me. Oh God who saves. And I would joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O oh Lord, that my mouth may please you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer you one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings and bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar you, you know what he's saying there right heal me and proper worship will begin that's good guys Emotional, circumstantial, mental, physical factors are all part of it, probably. But where are the spiritual things? 
For some of us, we continue to struggle as, and being addicted because when was the last time our worship has been in the right place? You can't expect your worship not to be in the right place. You can't expect that and yet be freed from addicted behavior. But when God gets his altar clean, what happened with Baal? Once the proper altar was built before the proper God, he healed that land. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring proper worship. But is there repentance? Lord, I know the things that trigger. Watch this. For some of you, this is going to be the hardest Father's Day in the world. Why? Because for some of you, you're going to go home and make phone calls to cable companies, internet companies. You're going to say no to some of your friends and I'm not going to go out there no more. For some of you, you're going to go out to eat and because of an addictive behavior, you're going to have to say no to that glass of wine or to that beer. For some of you, you're going to start making some choices today because if I don't stop these triggers today, I'll never break free from my addictions tomorrow. And for some of you, the hand needs to be cut off now. The eye needs to be plucked out now and be casted away. It's better that you enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with the whole body be thrown into hell. And today, I'm okay with losing one beer. I'm okay with losing one cable channel. I'm okay with losing internet at home. I'm okay with losing that friend. I'm okay with losing that party. I'm okay with losing these triggers in my life that continue to cause these addictions. I am gonna cut them off. Come on. Who's ready? Psalm 51 is marked by true characteristics of repentance. Mercy on God is asking. He's honest. He understands his, how severe sinning against God is. He gives no excuses, no justification. He has a desire to reform and go back. He recognizes that forgiveness is not deserved, but only through God's grace. David recognizes and he asks that his sin may be blotted out. That it would be erased forever. Number two, that he would be washed thoroughly. And number three, finally, to be cleansed from his sin. He wished to be separated from his sin in every way possible. How about you? How about us? He is not clinging to it with secret affection any longer. Stop clinging to it. Stop holding it. Stop watching it. It's over with today. The trigger is done today. Now he is rejecting that trigger, rejecting that sin to the uttermost and calling on God. I want to tell the church this. You got this. You got this. It's time to cut off the triggers. It's time to be free. It's time to make some decisions. But do an altar call. I need someone to pour oil on me and anoint their hands on me. Listen, get your heart right with God and go before the altar of God and let him anoint your hands on you and let him pray over you and let him... Oh man, I'm talking to someone today. So we could do an altar call and we could pray for you, but if it doesn't start from inside of you first, this up here will never do anything for you. It's got to start right now, right here, right there where you're at. Right now. Right now. Say, Lord, 
Here's my addictions. Here are the things that trigger it. Here are the things that I need to cut off. Here are the things that need to be cut and plucked out and casted away. Here are the things, oh Lord. So this is what I'm going to do in the next few minutes as we end. We'll spend a minute or so in worship. And if that's you, and you know there are triggers in your life, and I know it's Father's Day and many of you have to go, and I love you, I'll see you guys on Wednesday for worship, but if you know that I'm going to take this step and I'm going to, I'm going to ask these triggers to be destroyed in my life. It starts right now in your heart. But if you need me to come in agreement with you and you want me to pray for you, I'm going to invite you to come up. But right there where you're standing, where you're kneeling, start to say, here it is, Lord. Here are these things. I'm going to cut them off starting right now. All these triggers destroyed. All these things gone. So let's worship the Lord with song. And let him work in your heart. Let him be glorified today. Let him heal you and forgive you the way he healed and forgave David. Because after this day, oh, David is a man after God's own heart. You better believe it. Come on, church. Let's deal with those things. Let's worship him.